0: Galatians 6, 1 and 2, and this is the word of God which is eternally true. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Now, in the last couple of verses of chapter 5, the Apostle Paul exhorted the Galatians to walk by the Spirit. Flip back to chapter 5 and look with me if you would, please. And you'll see how it ends. It says what? Well, it says... It goes through the deeds of the flesh and then it says this in verse um, 22. But... It's, it's gone through the deeds of the flesh and then it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. Now, I imagine that there aren't many of us that haven't looked at the fruit of the Spirit and thought, where is it and how can I get it, right? Have you thought that? Where is it and how can I get it? Well, then keep reading and it says what? Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And then we have a chapter division. And because there's a chapter division, we come to a full stop. But Remember, the chapter divisions aren't there in the Greek. It's just a long letter. And so think through this a little bit differently But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, You who are spiritual, restore. In other words, the context for this is the church. It is them being brothers. You remember, um, some of you, that when Mary Lee's father and brother were bringing out the New Living Translation and I saw some of the early galley proofs for the New Living Translation, I saw that in the epistles they had taken out the word Adelphoi, which means brothers in Greek, and replaced it... With Christian friends. And of course, immediately, I strenuously objected. Now, why would you object to a Greek word brothers being changed to English word Christian friend? Well, there are a whole bunch of reasons to object. One is it's not what the Greek says. And of course, the linguists and all the sophisticated people would say, well, you stupid idiot. Don't you realize that all translation is an art? And that there are many words in the Greek and Hebrew that can't be brought into English literally that you have to translate thought for thought. And I say, but you know something? The Greek word brothers actually does have an English word that corresponds to it. And it's called brothers. And they say, yeah, but brothers in our language means males. And women don't feel included, so you can't use And I say, okay, fine. Let's say, uh, what happens if we give it up? All right? What happens if we give it up? Because women will be offended, or men who like women will be offended for women, which is often much more the truth than that the women themselves are offended. Well, if we give it up, one of the things we give up is the understanding that when you become a Christian, that you have a new family. you understand this? That no longer is your nuclear no longer is that the principal commitment of your life, but rather now the principal commitment is the body of Christ, the family, the household of faith. And so if you you change brothers to Christian friends, all of a sudden it's gone from blood to affinity. It's gone from uh, birth to choice. It's gone from permanent to temporary. Because after all, what is a friend? It's somebody that you can take on or that you can put on and take off like... A coat, a hat, a hairstyle. Now, you might say you have a more permanent commitment to friendship than that, but I'd say, come on, the best of friends are never a brother. Because a brother is someone you can't get rid of. Right? How do you get rid of a brother? One of those brothers is laughing and the other one's very sober. (laughs) It's pretty hard to get rid of a brother, isn't it? And let me tell you, when you marry into a family, you have a whole new set of brothers and sisters, don't you? How do you get rid of them? How do you get rid of a mother-in-law? Huh? You see, the language of Scripture is intentional. And the language of Scripture tells us that we have a new family. This last week we were visiting my, uh, I don't know what to call her, my former sister-in-law, but she still feels like a current sister-in-law. Anyhow, it's my brother Nathan who has died. His widow who is now remarried uh, to a man named Joe Armstrong. And uh, Joe is a Roman Catholic And Joe uh, is is a part of a church. And Sandy was explaining to us how in the Roman Catholic system, um, you don't change churches. Your geography determines your parish and that's it. You don't go out shopping. Now that's something that Protestants could benefit from, could learn from from Roman Catholics. my my friend David Wagner tells me that when he went over on a Rhodes Scholarship to to Geneva, um, that one of the first things that happened was he was assigned a church. You're Protestant. This is your church. And that was it. You see, this communicates to us the meaning of this word brother in the New Testament. We are given a new family. It's not a choice. In America, everything's a choice. AT&T, the right choice. You know, And the choice that many, many Christians make about churches changes from week to week and sometimes from day to day. Well, you know, this particular year, I think that my children are going to go over to such and such a church because I've heard they have a new youth pastor that's just dynamite. And you know, next year, the women's group at this church will be studying so-and-so, and my wife loves so-and-so, and it's like, you know, trying to work with people in churches uh, that have this kind of non commitment to churches is like that game that you see in the Penny Arcade where you pick up this big soft mallet and these like frogs pop up out of the thing. It's going, Wop, hop, 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 you know, because from week to week you never know who's going to be in your church. But then it doesn't matter because after all, we're only Christian friends. And friends, you can choose from day to day. Right? Okay, come on. Think about it. Doesn't it make sense that translators today would exchange brothers for Christian friends? Doesn't that make sense? Because it reflects how we live as Christians in America today. It's all a matter of affinity. What we like and what we don't like and what choices we make because after all, the most important thing is that we all make the right choice. Now, if you want to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, how are you going to grow? You're going to grow by living in the church. And not by having Christian friends who sit next to you in the pews, but brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and sons and daughters. And if you make a decision every morning Sunday when you get up, well, let's see, I think I'll go to church today. I don't think I'll go to church today. Guess what? The Holy Spirit will not work in you. You say, oh, no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit is at work within me because I'm a believer. I say, okay, fine. The Holy Spirit's exercise regimen, His program, His curriculum for you is the church. Well, He can work out in the woods. Yeah, he can. He may have you fall out of your, your tree stand, break your right femur, and not be able to hunt next year so that you have to be in church with all the women and children. On the first opening day of deer season, that was what happened up in Wisconsin. first day of deer season, wasn't a man in the church. In other words, yes, God can work with us, but if we despise the church, His work with us will be to drive us back to our mother. And when you go through this where it says, you know, the works of the flesh are these, bad, bad. The fruit of the Spirit is this, good, good. Now let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's walk by the Spirit. Um, Now, If anyone is caught in any, and and, and you don't see the connection between these things, but if you want the fruit of the Spirit, you must go and drink milk from the breast of your mother, which is the church. All right? Now, where does that come from? Well, did you notice? Look with me at Galatians chapter 4. It's making a connection between the people of God and Ishmael and his mother and the people that aren't God. And then it inserts this little parenthetical statement in verse 26. It says, but the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. She is our mother. The church is our mother. I want to read to you. uh, I made mention of this last week, but I want to read to you The fourth, Calvin's Institutes are broken into four books, right? It's four. The fourth book is huge. And much of what is taught in the fourth book is on the church. And in his section at the very beginning of the fourth book, this is what he has to say about the church. Since in our ignorance and sloth, that means laziness, to which I add fickleness of disposition... In other words, choice. All right. We need outward helps to beget and increase faith within us and advance it to its goal. God has also added these aids that He may provide for our weakness. And in order that the preaching of the gospel might flourish, He deposited this treasure in the church. I'm skipping a couple of sentences. And He says, I shall start then with the church into whose bosom God is pleased to gather His sons. Not only that they may be nourished by her help and ministry as long as their infants and children, but also that they may be guided by her motherly care until they mature and at last reach the goal of faith. For what God has joined together, it is not lawful to put asunder. So that for those to whom He is Father the church may also be mother. And this was so not only under the law, in other words, the Old Testament, but also after Christ's coming, as Paul testifies when he teaches that we are the children of the new and heavenly Jerusalem, that she is our mother. When you come to church on Sunday morning, are you excited because you're returning to your brothers and sisters and to your mother? Now, if you're not, is that whose fault is that? I'm not going to assume that it's always your fault. It may be the church's fault. There are many, many sick churches. But brothers and sisters, a child who's been crying out for milk is quiet and peaceful when she's put to her mother's breast. And this is the image that Calvin is using. This is the image you'll find the church fathers all through the ages using for the church. And so we want the fruit of the Spirit. And we say, how does the Spirit give us this fruit? And the answer is, one of the principal means is the church. And right away, we're led into this short, seemingly simplistic, Statement of how we're to handle failures within the church. And yet the way that these failures are handled and the people that are given the job of handling these failures and the people who are making the failures themselves, all these things are the exercise regimen. You know, you you go into a gym and you, you lift weights or you run on a treadmill and it exercises the muscles, right? Well, in the church, if you fall into a sin and you have Somebody who is spiritual correct you, it exercises your muscles, your muscles. All right? Now how does it do that? How does it do that? What's your muscle that's most resistant to growth? Mine is humility. Patience is real close. And what does it do when somebody corrects me? Say for instance, my wife. It exercises that muscle. Right? Do you want to grow in the fruit of the Spirit? Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness. Fruit of the Spirit is humility. Do you want to grow in humility? Here's a great way to grow in humility have your wife correct you. And if she's gotten tired, go to church. Because here at church, guess what? There will be people that aren't tired. Who, who still have eternal hope that you are perfectible and that they're the instrument that God will be pleased to use to perfect you. I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but we were out in Boulder for a conference and while there I took it for granted and just simply called up I called ahead of time, but they didn't respond, but that was sort of normal. And so I called up my friend Mitch from high school, my best friend from high school, and his wife Karen. Mitch had professed Christ while at University of Colorado and married a Christian woman and, and uh, but there was this like residual uncertainty or, or question in my mind about you know that they hadn't responded, because normally if I called them and I called his cell phone and her cell phone in the home. But I didn't stop to think about it. And so finally I got Karen on the phone. And I don't know why, but the first thing I said to her is, are you still married? And she said no. And all of a sudden I'm like, no. Well, this was pretty big for me. And I started crying. And I just couldn't believe it. Well, it turns out that my dear friend Mitch... um, you know, without going into the details, had done the classic thing. Just classic. Old as the hills, three times as dusty. And had left his wife. Married another woman. And then I thought about my responsibility. Because after all, I'm his brother. And I realized that for many years, Mitch had not been faithful in the matter of his church. He jumped a little bit. But he'd chosen a church that I knew it was never going to up the ante with Mitch. You know what I mean? A church where the sacraments were everything. And you never had to submit to the discipline of preaching. Some guy that actually knows you, looking you in the eye and saying, this is what the Scripture means. There's a reason why churches are sacramental. You understand what I'm saying. The sacraments are, are, can be very, very clean. Alright, but preaching is a bloody business. And I realized I had failed to call Mitch to his mother. To call his wife, to call his children to their mother. To explain the importance of their mother. And so now I have the responsibility of going to Mitch because he has been caught in a trespass. I was his best man at his wedding. And you all who have been married in this church know that that gives you an obligation. You're there as a witness to the vow. And when a vow is broken, the witnesses are to go and testify. And they're to call the person to repentance. I don't even know what repentance will mean in this situation. He's remarried. He now has four additional children. It happened like this. I never knew about it. But I love Mitch. So what should I do? Here's what I think I'm going to do. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to Mitch and I'm going to say, Hey Mitch, what kind of a stupid idiot are you? Haven't you been watching me? I'm still married. What's your problem? Didn't you mean your vows? Do you have any idea what you've done to that poor woman who was your wife? And what's the, uh, you know is there anything to think that you're not going to do the same thing to this woman in a few years? And how do you think your children feel? You know, Mitch, you never were any good. I had premonitions of this the night of your wedding. I knew that you're quicksilver. You know, never to be counted on, never to be trusted. Is that how I ought to handle it, brothers? If any, what does it say here? Huh? It's if anyone's caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual—that's me. <laughs> restore such a one in a spirit of firmness, sincerity. What does it say? In a spirit of what? It says in a spirit of gentleness. You know, brothers and sisters, we make two errors in living together as the church with brothers and sisters. One error is, hey, listen, I'll be your friend and you'll be my friend if we lie to each other and say that everything's fine. And that's this error. And that's what most Christians in America do. You know, I buy your friendship by not talking about your sins. And, and if you don't talk about my sins, then we'll be friends. You ever violate that? And we'll be gone. We won't be here. Okay? You understand this? Alright. But here's the other error. If anybody falls into any sin, that will be an occasion for me to publicly show you how excellent I am. <laughs> and this lesson will be sewn on with an iron thread. You know? I will reduce you to God it to, to uh what I don't know rubble you know you will be broken and after all that's what god wants he wants us broken humble and i will humble you <laughs> But the Bible says that we're to do this in a spirit of gentleness. Now, what gives us gentleness? The Holy Spirit gives us gentleness. How does the Holy Spirit do this? Well, one of the principal methods, if you look at the end of the text, it says what? It says, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. We spent a number of hours this last week and in previous weeks dealing with a young woman who has judged her mother and her father harshly. And they have since. And let me tell you, she says that on with an iron thread every opportunity she gets. She could be civil sometimes, but most of the time, she's completely uncivil, disrespectful, harsh, angry, mean, cynical, sarcastic, rude, disrespectful. Any of you known children, teenagers like this? Any of you were teenagers like this? And you're absolutely certain that you're God's gift to your parents to point out every one of their failings. And until they admit their failings precisely the way you define them, and don't you dare try to weasel out on me because I see with 2020 and you're completely blind, Mother. All right, Until they confess precisely the sin that we have seen in the way that we want them to confess it they will suffer. And you know what I said to this young woman over and over and over again? Would you look at your own sin? Would you look at your own sin? How can you judge your mother this way if you look at your own sin? When we look at who we are and really look at it and see how far short we fall of the glory of God, how can we not be gentle with a brother and sister who's fallen? The only way to not be gentle is when you're convinced that you are righteous. And you know what that means. That means you're self-righteous. You're a legalist and you have lost touch with the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit is working in you, the Holy Spirit will humble you by pointing out your sin. And then when you go and correct other people, you're going to do it gently because I cannot tell you how many elders' meetings will be in a discussion with someone. And often it happens with just a couple elders. An elder and a pastor or something like that. You'll be in a meeting. And and the people you'll be meeting with will confess sins. (laughs) You're like, Blush. (laughs) And you go, oh, please, did you have to bring that up? Why? Well, because you are guilty of that sin yourself. You know? And so guess what? You're gentle because you see your own sinfulness. And so when you deal with other people, it's completely, completely understandable how they felt. Now, on the opposite side, there are those who will not confess their own sinfulness and therefore are rude and belittling and aggressive and nasty to people when they deal with them privately about sin. Now, I'm going to talk for a second to those of you who are married. If you find yourself being that way with your husband or wife, it doesn't please God. You say, oh, but he committed adultery. I say, it doesn't please God. That's not the way Hosea was to Gomer. You can bet your booties that he was the most tender and loving of husbands. Why? Because he took her back after she committed adultery. He wasn't filled with his own self-righteousness. He was filled with love with the Spirit of God. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual... And I'll note about you who are spiritual. One of, the, uh, one of the errors of youth is to think that you are spiritual and that you are the one who sees 2020 and you're the one that should correct people. And when it says you who are spiritual, it most likely doesn't mean someone who's been a Christian for a year. Even though, all of a sudden... The bells are going off everywhere. The lights are blinking on and off. And you see everyone's sin. And you know that if you just explain to them how they need to repent, they would repent probably. And so you're filled with that zeal of youthfulness. The Bible gives this specific task to those who are spiritual. And you look at your elders and your pastors you well, say, well, they're not spiritual. And I say, wait, wait, wait. Be careful. They have. Uh, they have... They're jars of clay, I admit it, first myself. And yet the Lord has set them apart for this task. And so be very careful that you don't take on the responsibility of being the spiritual one and being the one that goes around as God's gifts to to the church, correcting everybody. Uh, It doesn't mean that you shouldn't do this if you're a new Christian. But be very careful in the zeal of youthfulness that you don't displace this comment, you who are spiritual. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Now, I have not found commentators who agree with me on this yet. But I want to say that I believe part of this warning that we are to watch out when we correct other people is that there is a spiritual principle that when we correct others, that we ourselves are going to be tempted and often in the same sin in which we're correcting others in. I could give you a lot of stories of this, but um, I will just tell one. I had the job of correcting a, a leader in my church in Wisconsin who had been involved in adultery with a woman in the church for a number of years. And we first went privately and dealt with it, Mary Lee and me. and. Uh, after a year or so, we heard that this man was talking to this woman that he had committed adultery with in public. And that had been part of the agreement that he wasn't going to do that. You understand why? Privately, but in public, you know, out on the street. And so it was no longer satisfactory for us to handle it privately. We now, I now needed to take somebody else with me, and I took an elder. And uh, before we went, we prayed together and I warned him from this text about the danger that he would be in by going into the situation and correcting this brother. We met with the brother. We we corrected him (laughs) Um, gently, but I'm laughing because one part of the exchange was not gentle at all. Um, And then afterwards... A short while later, this elder began to be very callous spiritually and particularly in the area of sex. And I couldn't figure out what was going on, and then it hit me that he had fallen into the same sin. And so I think that, yes, we're exhorted to be careful that we ourselves don't fall into sin when we're dealing with the sins of others, Not simply so that we get in touch with our own fallibility and our own sinfulness and are gentle with the other person, but also because when you come alongside someone to correct them, you need to be careful that you don't fall into the sin that you're correcting them for. And so I just say that um, because that's in my pastoral experience is a real danger If you're a woman that goes to another woman to correct her, be very careful that you don't fall into the sin. And then it says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what is the law of Christ? What is it? It's love, right? You know that. The law of Christ is the law of love. Not the law of duty, but the law of love. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill... The law of Christ. What does it mean to bear one another's burdens? Well, obviously, in this context, it means going, you who are spiritual, to correct and correcting with gentleness while praying that you yourself don't fall, right? That's what it means, because then it sums the whole thing up by saying, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. All right? Now, are you willing to bear one another's burdens on this issue? What's it going to take? Well, it's going to take, number one, you being in touch with your own sinfulness. You cannot go and correct somebody else and help them if you yourself despise their weakness and think of yourself as being righteous. You can't do it. You have to have a tender conscience before the Lord. What else does it mean to bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ? Um, On this text, uh, one of the church fathers that I read talked about people going on a walk with each other and what it would mean to bear one another's burdens on a walk. And he says it's like as if this is a sermon from four centuries ago, so bear with the stilted language. It's like two men going on a journey together. The one feels himself weary so as he's not able to draw his legs after him. It's certain that he which is strong will not run before him as it were to spite him, but will restrain himself to his companion. Yes, and he will toll him forward saying, Go to man, pluck up a good heart. Let me help you myself. To be sure, he will do all that he can to cheer up his fellow that is so faint and immediately I thought of my son Joseph A few years ago we went out to Uray. we camped at the Ridgeway State Park and in, in Southwest Colorado and um, one of the, uh, the first or second day we were in Uray, and we decided that we were, wanted to take a hike up the mountains and so we chose this path and it was a killer and you know years ago Mary Lee and I used to go backpacking up in the Canadian Rockies and the Tetons in Colorado and I remember those days and I wasn't having any problems. But man, we started up this mountain and I thought like as I was going to die. I was gasping and gasping and sweat was pouring out of every pore of my body and I was going to die. It's not funny. It's not funny. Meanwhile, Taylor is running up here and running back down and running over here and running up and running up and running down and running up and running down. And I'm... (sighs) And Taylor's running here and running there and running everywhere. And Mary Lee has no problem. She's, of course, not carrying an extra 475 pounds. (laughs) Who was that? And I don't remember how long that trail was or how many thousands of feet we gained. And I mean, it was vertical. But all of a sudden, I noticed as I was like to die that my son Joseph, what? That he'd fallen back. That he was behind me. Now, how do you get behind an overweight 48-year-old slob of a father? When you're Joseph, it's a choice, isn't it? And I'd stop, and I'd have to stop for I don't know how long, just just to catch my breath. Sweat pouring off me, and Joseph came up to me and he put his arm around me and very quietly he said, "Are you all right, Dad?" "Yep, son, I'm all right." Was I? No. <sighs> My heart was like to die. I had sweat. Every part of my body, even my, my leather boots were sopping wet. Everything in me. I was ready to die. Was I alright? I was alright. Why was I alright? Because my son was back there with his arm around me. And if I'd fallen down with a heart attack, he would have carried me down that mountain. And when I'm older... And I'm senile and I tell the story 50 times, my children will listen. And if they correct me, it'll be with gentleness. Why? Because they're fulfilling the law of love. You say, well, yeah, you're a family. I say, uh uh-uh, uh 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 uh. It's because they love Jesus Christ. That's why. It's not because we're a family. It's absolutely not. If we were a family without Jesus Christ, it would be the nastiest thing you've ever heard of. Principally because I'm the head of the home. But we're not. We're the family of God. And so I have a son who loves God and fulfills the law of Christ and gently corrects me and supports me and sustains me. So this is the kind of church Church of the Good Shepherd is. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is our mother. Will we submit to it? Will we love it? Will we be faithful in obeying the commands that we've gotten today? Are you willing to love each other? Are you willing to admit your sin? Are you willing to correct others' sin? What kind of sins? I'm not talking about putting the cat back on the toothpaste. Everybody knows that in marriage there are many, 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 many things that need to be overlooked because love covers a multitude of sins. There are many sins that love, when we're fervent in love, will overlook and cover. But there are sins that must not be covered. Are you willing to see them, to correct them? Are you willing to repent when you're corrected? If you want to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, This is the program that God has for you. Let's pray.